welcome to the Parker J. Cole Show. I am your host, the Queen Parker J. Thank you so much for joining me for this edition. I'm really excited because today is a special episode where we're going to be telling you about a ministry and their new podcast that is coming out very soon. It's from the Cornwall Alliance. And if you've been following the show for some time, you know how much I am a fan of the Cornwall Alliance. I was just telling one of our guests before the show started that I met Cornwall Alliance through a friend of mine, a pastor, Mike Spalding. And when I met Dr. Beisner through that podcast, I had never heard anything about the poor being mentioned in climate control, climate change, energy policy, never heard anything about it. It was always about the planet, save the planet, save the trees, save the polar bears. It was never about the people. And that really attracted me to Cornwall Alliance. Then I went to their website, and let me tell you, they have so many articles for you to browse through, lots of posts for you to read, blogs, and they have people from all over the multidisciplinary studies of this subject that you can talk to, from NASA to teachers to wherever you want to talk to. So the Cornwall Alliance is your go-to place if you want to have logical, balanced, and fair reviews about climate change, alarmists or warnings, and just having someplace to go to get your questions answered. And so I was so glad when Dr. Beisner told us that they are starting a podcast. So I had to have him on the show. I just had to have him on the show. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce my guest co-host and contributor today, Dr. Cal Beisner from Cornwall Alliance. Dr. Beisner, how are you doing today? I'm doing just great, Parker. Thanks very much. And thanks for your kind words about the Cornwall Alliance. Uh, we hope that lots of folks will come to cornwallalliance.org. We're really excited. Uh, the Lord has blessed us, particularly with the addition to our staff of Dr. David Legates. You'll probably be introducing him a bit in a minute, but uh, David is just a tremendous scholar on these things, a, a true climatologist and a very accomplished man, and it's been one of the great blessings for me to have him join me on the staff with the Cornwall Alliance as our Director of Research and Education. One thing I'm glad about, Dr. Beisner, is that you are tackling the subject in a way that is unpopular for a lot of people because you aren't an alarmist. So that doesn't mean you are what they call a climate change denier. If anything, you're saying, let's look at the evidence and see where the evidence leads. And this becomes an extremely important part of the conversation as we talk about ways to protect our planet, be good stewards of the planet, but also talk about the people who live on the planet. So I'm really glad that you're here with me today. And with me is your co-host, Dr. David Legate. And Dr. Legate, I'm so glad you have joined us today. I know you just recently joined Cornwall Alliance. I'd love to know a little bit about yourself. So go ahead and tell us all about it. Hello, Parker. Thank you for having me on. Yes, um, I recently joined Cornwall simply because, well, I had finally gotten out of academia. I'd been there for more than 30 years, uh, finishing up at the University of Delaware, and it was just easier to to come to a biblically-oriented uh, uh, avenue as opposed to work at a uh, an academic setting where uh, the biblical perspective is not well re well respected. That's the key there. It's often been ridiculed by many people because they think that if you have a biblical perspective of stewardship, that means that you are a climate change denier, that you just want to rape the earth of all its resources, 
that you don't want to find alternative sources of energy. But what would you say is the real perspective behind biblical stewardship of the earth? Well, generally, we take our lead from Matthew 22, which says, essentially, when the Pharisee approached uh, Jesus and asked, uh, what was the most important commandment? Jesus essentially said, there are two commandments that sum, sum up the entire law and the prophets. The first is to love the God, love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is like unto it, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. And I think that's why we are here on the planet is, first of all, to give glory to God, to love God, to proclaim him as our creator. And secondly, to use what he has given us to enhance the well-being of people on the planet as well. And that goes back to what Dr. Beisner said and what attracted me to the Cornwall Alliance is the well-being of the people. Why are people an important part of the equation when we talk about climate change, energy alternatives, things of that nature, Dr. Beisner? Although we should care about everything in God's creation, people really should come first. We and we alone are made in God's image. and. Uh, the scripture actually uh, makes it very, very clear that people are more important than animals, for instance. Uh, in, in biblical law, if you uh, steal and kill a neighbor's animal, well, you're supposed to restore by providing a replacement for that animal or paying the market price for that animal back to your neighbor, plus some penalty in addition. But if you kill a human being, well, biblical law says that the appropriate punishment for murder is execution. We pay with our lives. Nothing, nothing better uh, demonstrates the fact that people take priority over animals than that. And so when we have in uh, Genesis 1, 28, the, uh, the command from God that uh, mankind is supposed to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over everything in it, the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and everything that moves on the face of the earth, that clearly gives humanity a priority. And the really sad thing about so much of the environmental movement, but I think especially that which is committed to fostering fears of dangerous man-made global warming or climate change, is that it really tends to denigrate people, to, to put them after everything else. And worst of all, it does that to those who are the poorest, who are the least able to, uh, to protect themselves. Parker, much of the Western world grew out of what we would describe today as extreme poverty by using abundant, affordable, reliable energy from fossil fuels, coal, oil, and natural gas. And the climate change movement is telling poor countries around the world today, you can't do that. You have to jump right straight from, you know, from, from wood and dry dung as your primary energy sources to wind and solar, which are far more expensive and far less reliable than coal, oil, and natural gas. And that's, you know, that's let them eat cake. It's, it's not proper care for the world's poor. The Apostle Paul said that when he visited the other apostles in Jerusalem, the only thing they asked him to do was to remember the poor. He said, that's what I was already intent on doing. We get that in Galatians 2.10. So that's a major focus of Cornwall Alliance's work. The article by Mr. Jairanaj, he talked about this whole aspect of how the Western world 
was actually adopting a colonial attitude toward climate change. Yeah. And I found that I found that a very provocative article because he was able to show a parallel between how back in the day you had a lot of European countries who had colonies in a lot of these third world countries. And nowadays we actually see that as repugnant. Here you have this Indian, very intelligent man talking about that some of these countries acted now about colonialism. It's the same word they're doing with alternative energies. You have to have alternative energies. And if you want to be part of the game, you have to pay to play the game. I think Vijay is absolutely right that there is this uh, very domineering attitude on the part of Western countries toward, develop, excuse me, toward developing countries. And these Westerners are not thinking carefully about the impact of their policies on the poor in these countries. What they want to do essentially will be to slow, stop, or even reverse the climb out of poverty for these other countries. And actually, I would say that it's far worse than colonialism because, interestingly enough, if you actually read the economic history of the world, all right, what you find is the countries in Africa, in Asia, in Oceania that were colonized, especially those colonized by Britain, but even those colonized by Germany, Portugal, France, Spain, they developed economically much more rapidly than countries that never were colonized. And one can make a strong case, and I, I did this partly in my book, Prosperity and Poverty, The Compassionate Use of Resources in a, in a World of Scarcity. One can make a strong case that however politically problematic it was, economically, colonization brought more benefit than harm to these countries. The opposite is the, true, is the case with the whole climate thing. There, what's being brought to these countries is almost exclusively harm, harm by slowing their access to abundant, affordable, reliable energy, which is absolutely indispensable to rising and staying out of poverty, and harm by uh, reducing their access to abundant and affordable food. And the reason for that is partly that, of course, growing food and, and transporting it and so on requires a lot of energy, but also partly because the more carbon dioxide we have in the atmosphere, the better plants grow, and that makes more food available for everything that eats plants. So whether you are a vegetarian or a meat eater, you know, the, the cattle, the pigs, the, uh, the chickens, et cetera, they have to eat plants. And uh, so by, by restricting the emission of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere by reducing the use of fossil fuels, we're actually restricting the greening of planet Earth and the growing of more food. So I think that, uh, that this is a much worse thing than colonialism. But I think David can probably actually build on this because he can address the whole issue, which you mentioned a minute ago, that some people think, well, okay, so if you don't buy into the whole alarmist program, you must be a, a climate change denier. Well, David is a veteran climatologist, taught climatology for 30 years. <laughs> in the uh, University of Delaware and a couple of other universities, he can speak directly to that and correct that misimpression. Please do. Yes, I think one of the issues that uh, comes up is that we, when we start talking about climate, we get a different impression with what we see in the media than what is really happening. I mean, the media likes to tell us 
for example, that hurricanes are becoming more intense, that hurricanes are becoming more frequent, more landfalls, more devastation. But when you start to actually look at the data, you find out on a global scale in the Northeast, uh, almost every basin in which there's a hurricane, there is no long-term trend in any of these records. And that gets back to the question of hold what is, to, what is true. The idea is that truth is the importance. And if we're being told something that's completely different than what we really know, then I have to step back and say, well, why are we telling you a different story? And I think that's where the problem arises, is that one of the things we see in this discussion is it's not even honest, and to a large extent, on the scientific spectrum. I mean, scientists will talk about all the caveats, the if, ands, or buts, but then as as, uh, Dr. Steven Schneider once said, you know, but we've got to get loads of media reports. And so to do that, we ignore the kinds of things that uh, would lead to questions, and we make elaborate stories in order to get support. And he said, concluded at the end, I hope that means being honest uh, as well as being effective. And my argument is honesty has to be the first important ingredient. I mean, from science, we have to be honest with what the data tells us. And then when we talk about people and their impacts, it's very important to have that honesty portray across so that we can find out what is really affecting these people. Because honestly, I do not believe that climate change is the big problem. I think it's getting energy to the poor of the nations of the world and bringing them out of poverty. It's a great thing that you mentioned that, Dr. Legates, because it brings you to the next part of our discussion about the podcast. And I know that you were already doing Facebook Lives, interacting with people via Facebook, but now you've taken that and you turned it into a podcast. What was the deciding factor that led to that decision? I think it's um, mainly that this is gonna be a much easier way for people to access what we're doing. The live streams, uh, whether on Facebook or on YouTube, it's just a little bit more difficult for people to get to. So many more people now use podcast tracking applications on their phones and whatnot. So this this allows people to to listen to us while they're driving down the highway, you know, while they're out working in the yard. I mean, that's when I listen to podcasts. I put my put my head, headphones on and jump on the riding mower and and go around and mow the lawn. And and so I think that uh, we just see this as a way that we can reach a whole lot more more people and they can reach us a whole lot more conveniently. So. Every time we put a new episode out, we're going to announce that in our emailed newsletter, and there will be a, a link right there. All they need to do is just click on that and bingo. It'll take them right straight where they can start listening to the podcast right off, right off the bat. But also they can use all their, you know, the various different podcast tracking apps and just look up Created Terrain and look particularly for our our logo, our, our picture. It's Basically, it's the the Holy Spirit descending as a dove on Adam and Eve, anointing them to reign over the earth. This is our podcast created to reign. They can follow us using any podcast tracking app that is around. Dr. Legates, when you wanted to join Dr. Beisner in this venture of having a podcast, what do you hope listeners will gain from being subscribers and followers of the content? that you guys will create? Well, a lot of what we had done before was to produce things uh, for written for written avenues. And so a lot of people do not have simply the time 
to sit down and read newsletters, to read a lot of things. But as Cal said, you know, if you're out in the, in the yard doing work, if you're driving down the road, it's possible to listen to a podcast and have someone, you know, talk to you about it. And I think that's one way of reaching a lot more people is that the audio podcast has a much better, a much more interesting approach for various people than reading the written word. I should have mentioned, by the way, uh, Parker, that the way, for, the way for people to subscribe to our newsletter is just to go to cornwallalliance.org. That's cornwallalliance.org. And just uh, fill in their email address in the uh, subscribe to update box. It's on pretty much every page of the website. So it's quick and easy and no charge for it. And uh, the, the email updates that we send out are also always very educational. I, I know you know that because you read them. Now, there's a lot of smart people at Cornwall Alliance, lots of smart people with lots of different letters after their names. I'm surprised they aren't numbers after their names, too, with the Cornwall Alliance. So I want for our listeners to know, you have all these very educated people from very diverse disciplines of education. Will the common person be able to understand the content here? Well, that's certainly our intent, and that's one of the reasons that I was so glad to get David Legates uh, working with us, because though, you know, David can do all the differential equations, and he knows the physics, and he's taught this stuff and all that, David is just great at explaining all of these things on a layman's level. Just recently, we had something uh, written for us, and we realized there's no way we can use this because it's got differential equations all over the place in it. Well, David took that section and he re rewrote it in ordinary people's language. <laughs> this is the kind of thing. I, you know, I, I grew up early in my Christian life. I, I was doing cult apologetics under the late Dr. Walter Martin. And uh, Dr. Martin said his task was to get the hay down out of the loft onto the barn floor where the cows can get at it. I've always seen that as my job <laughs> ever since then. I mean, yeah, I've got a PhD, uh, yeah, I have a master's, but my real job is to take what the technical scholars do and make it accessible to ordinary folks. And, and I think David does that really, really well, too. So I, I think that's certainly going to be our aim in our podcast all the time to communicate well with just ordinary people. I think that's an important aspect of the podcast because so many people leave it up to other people to define their opinions instead of discovering their opinions for themselves and reading for themselves or even asking questions. And so we did get a couple of questions just to show you when I told my listeners that this podcast was coming out, we did get a couple of questions that people were asking. And you may already talk about this or you may talk about it in the future. But here's, some of the, here's one question. Erica from Detroit, Michigan asks, what prevents nationwide alternative energies from being implemented? And then she also asks, who or what decides the increase in costs of electricity? So those are her two questions. You don't necessarily have to respond to them, but would that be something you talk about on the podcast? Yeah, absolutely. We'll be talking about things like that. And uh, it's not a matter really so much of who decides. It's a matter of, reality. It's a matter of what actually can be done, uh, granted the technologies that we have available or the new technologies that are coming down the road. The simple fact is that because there is so little energy 
per unit of volume or per unit of mass in wind and solar, whereas there's an enormous amount of energy in the same unit of volume or the same unit of mass in coal or oil or natural gas. Therefore, it's much more expensive to produce usable energy, the kind of thing that we <laughs> expect through our electric grid from wind and solar than it is from coal and oil and natural gas. And you know, people will say, okay, but the cost of wind turbines, the cost of solar panels has been falling very drastically. That's true, but it's still not enough to make up the difference. And much more importantly, because wind and solar are intermittent, that is, it's not always windy, it's not always sunny, right? Therefore, the more you use those to power your electric grid, the more backup you need from coal or natural gas or nuclear plants. But those plants work best when they're running at 90% capacity or more, whereas wind and solar tend to run at about, oh, solar anywhere from about 15 to 25% capacity, and wind uh, averages about 30% capacity. What that means is you're having to run these, these backup plants so you're really, you're, you're generating your energy twice and having to pay for it twice while you're using it only once. And that gets left out of the claims about wind and solar being, you know, economically competitive with fossil fuels. They, they just aren't. We also get the impression that uh, wind and solar are somehow clean energy. Uh, the fact is they aren't. Part of the problem is they rely on what are called rare earth metals. And they're called rare earth because they are rare. And so to get them, you have to do a lot of mining, excavation. And in many cases, it's strip mining, where you literally go in and just destroy everything you can get, sift through it, and then put it all back. We've denied that in the United States simply because it's very disruptive to the environment. But a lot of poorer countries will do it. China will do it. And so we wind up importing a lot of this stuff from countries that essentially are doing uh, environmentally non-friendly issues to be able to provide those wind turbines or the materials for your solar panels. We did get another question, and they were just asking, are they, you know, Cornwall Alliance, are they a proponent of man-made climate change or more of a naturalist? What would you say to that question? I, I think we're much more, I mean, to, to say, I mean the, the way the question sort of sets up, it's a binary. Either you believe that it's all human-induced or that none of it's human-induced. And I think what my personal view is that humans can and do change the climate. I mean, first of all, climate changes. Climate always has changed, has changed, and climate always will change. So climate is variable. Climate changes for a variety of reasons. Humans can change the climate as well as the natural variability. And in many cases, human changes of the climate have to do with changes in land use. I mean, if you look at um, Dulles Airport, for example, when it was first put in, it was in the middle of nowhere, it was cheap land, and now it's in the middle of the uh, sprawling Washington metropolitan area with the urban heat island effect. So the idea is that is a human effect changing the local landscape, but it's not a carbon dioxide effect. And so I think carbon dioxide is not a non-player. I think increasing carbon dioxide, let's say a doubling of carbon dioxide will result in about one degree Celsius of warming. But I don't necessarily think all warming is going to be bad. And I don't think that in particular, a lot of the disasters that supposedly come along with a doubling of carbon dioxide 
are, we're, I don't believe we're seeing it, and I don't believe we're likely to see it. I appreciate you making those comments, Dr. Bias and Dr. Legate. I just have to ask you, and this is probably a little bit farther off than I want to go. Not I want to go. I can go there. But I was looking at a recent article about Neptune, and they were talking how the winters on Neptune, I'm sorry, not the winters, the summers on Neptune seem to be cooling based off our measurements of the atmosphere on Neptune. And I couldn't help but think about this topic of climate change. Wouldn't you say that on Neptune, which, you know, far as we know, no one's running around there, you know, on the beach or doing anything like that, couldn't you see how the way the, the, the climate would change if no one's there is changing when, and no one's there? As far as we know, no one's there. I'm not alien, whatever, but you know what I mean? I'm, I'm trying to word the, the question correctly, but can you see parallels in understanding how we're on the planet, no one's there, and it's cooling, as opposed to it getting warmer, things of that nature? Am I, am I making sense of my question? Yeah. See, we forget that the sun is a variable star and that the sun goes through phases where it becomes warmer or colder. We had a, a, a colder period called the Little Ice Age, which is probably a bad word, it really wasn't an ice age, but little cold period doesn't quite have the same cachet. But nevertheless, I mean, the sun went through a quieter period. And when it did, there wasn't enough as much energy given off. The temperature of the earth decreased. And that's one of the things that we think might be happening in the future. I've been working with some astrophysicists at Harvard, and their indication is that maybe the sun is becoming into a more quieter phase towards the latter half of the 21st century. Now, Predicting what the sun will do is even more difficult than trying to predict what tomorrow's weather is going to be. But nevertheless, that's what they sort of get from looking at sort of precursors of sun variability, changes in the, uh, the equatorial uh, radius of the sun, things like that, that the sun may be cooling down. And that's one of the things you're seeing on Neptune is that Neptune also is cooling, uh, possibly as a result of a cooling sun. Whether that continues, whether that changes, I don't know, but that feeds back into an issue which says it's more natural variability that also plays a role in climate change, and not just humans are the only agent of change. Thank you so much, Dr. LeGates. I'm so glad you understood my question that I couldn't quite form, because as, just as a creative, I'm thinking of Neptune all the time. I'm in space, I'm on Mars. I devour all the pictures of Mars and and all those type of things, because as you, as your, the title of your podcast is created to rain, which is the exact opposite of what a lot of the alarmists want you to believe that, no, the earth rains over us. But I can't help but think about those really cute dodo videos on YouTube where they have this dog that's been horribly mistreated as someone comes along and heals the dog, cleans it up, and gives it a friend. And I can't think, help but think of Genesis 1 where he says, be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth, and take care of it. He said, take care of the earth. And Dr. Beisner, one of the first things he said when we first met a couple of years ago, he said, the earth was made good, but God gave the earth to be maintained. Why do you think he did that? And these are some of the questions that we have to ask ourselves when we say, are we supposed to interfere with the earth? Or we just let bygones be bygones. Well, you know, the, the language of Genesis 1:28, uh, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it, is, is really 
quite forceful to subdue. The Hebrew word behind that is the word from which we get our, our Yiddish word kabosh, you know, put the kabosh on something, right? And radah, the, the word for subdue, for uh, have dominion or rule, is, is a very forceful term. And so some people will think, well, that is why you Christians and the Jews think that it's perfectly okay to just rape and pillage the earth. Well, no, no, no. Uh, we should figure out what that subduing and ruling looks like by looking at what God himself had already done before that time, because he made us in his image. So if we're supposed to rule as his representatives, our rule should be like his. Well, what was his like? Well, he started with nothing and he got everything. He started with darkness and he got light. He started with chaos and he got order. He started with non-living things and he made life. And he made great abundant variety of life. And he told every form of life to be fruitful and multiply and fill its niche in the earth. Our subduing and ruling the earth should be one where we too are bringing more out of less, we're bringing greater outer order out of lesser order, we're bringing more light, more truth, more understanding out of less, we're bringing more life out of less life, and we're preserving and even enhancing the abundance and the variety of life. That's what it should be like. So at the Cornwall Alliance, we say, look, you know, godly dominion looks like men and women made in God's image, working together in love of God and neighbor, to enhance the fruitfulness and the beauty and the safety of the earth to the glory of God and the benefit of our neighbors. So that we're really addressing those two great commandments that David referred to early on in the program, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. This is what real dominion looks like. And those who want to blame environmental degradation on Christianity really need to do a little uh, study on the history of environmental devastation. The worst environmental dev devastation has been in those places the least impacted by Christianity. And, and Christianity brings this new worldview to us that tells us that a loving and truthful and powerful God has called us to walk in his footsteps and to follow his example, that's, that's the call that we have as stewards of the earth. And that's also the impossibility of doing that when we don't have a solid relationship with God is why the Cornwall Alliance also emphasizes the gospel of Jesus Christ. The, the, the message that sinful people like me, right, can be reconciled to the holy God by God's gift of grace through faith in Jesus Christ, who died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins and rose again from the dead as the Father's, what, his, his uh, seal of approval, so to speak, on what Christ had done, his justification of Christ. It's by this, by faith in Christ, that we can be reconciled to God and then learn to think God's thoughts after him, to understand the world and our place in it the way he intends us to, and then we can be good stewards. As always, Dr. Bias, you always bring such a level, calm thought to this whole conversation. That's one of the reasons that I was so grateful to be connected with you. We did get just one more question slash comment, and it actually goes to what you were just saying, Dr. Legate, 
about this, and I'm going to uh, shut it down after this. So Jeremy also says, many of the world's industrial nations are not what you call climate-friendly and show little interest in becoming so. Conversely, the U.S. has a history of bankrupting industries such as energy in order to lessen our footprint by fractions of a percent. What options would you present to validate the concerns of climate change proponents while protecting the viability of our industry? And that was from Jeremy in Alabama. Well, thanks, Jeremy. I mean, my, my concern has been that one of the things that we really focus on when we start to talk about climate change is somehow that it's destroying the planet. And that becomes, I think, the first argument that I make is that the, the, the planet is created by God. It's created by God in such a way to keep it balanced that it's not likely to be destroyed by human beings with a little bit of invoking carbon dioxide or other greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. So the, the issue then becomes, for me, how do we make it so that we get clean conditions? When I say clean, I mean lack of pollution, because yes, fossil fuels, and as we saw, I mentioned earlier, solar and wind also require uh, pollution to essentially get them out of the ground. The question is, how do we minimize true pollution and not worry so much about what I'll call fake pollution, which is additional carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. And that's, I think, what the focus is, particularly with respect to getting a more, uh, an environment for people where energy is available, where energy is, is cheap, so that it can pull them out of poverty. I mean, one of the things that, that keeps people in poverty is making energy unaccessible and making it unavailable and unaffordable. And particularly countries that have gotten food, clothing, shelter, and security, and then have been able to look at their environment, have done so because of an enhanced energy. And I think that's the key that we at Christians need to focus on. Cal, did you want to add to that? Well, just real quickly, um, you know, if you want to find the poorest part of town, I'm sorry, the, the dirtiest part of town, where do you go? To the wealthiest neighborhoods or the poorest neighborhoods? And it's not because the poor people don't care about being clean. It's because they can't afford to be that clean. They don't have the time. The wealthier people have more time. They can afford more. A clean, healthful, beautiful environment is a costly good. Wealthier people can afford more costly goods than poorer people can. So if we want to be friends to the environment, we should be friends to economic development. We should be friends to economic growth because the richer people are, the more can they can afford the kinds of technology that enable us to get food, clothing, shelter, medical care, transportation, uh, communication, everything else that we enjoy in life, right? The more we can afford getting those things in a way that keeps the planet around us clean and you know, minimize what David is calling real pollution as in, instead of fake pollution. Carbon dioxide is not pollution by any means. It is the elixir of life. It is absolutely indispensable to photosynthesis, which is indispensable to plant growth, which is indispensable to everything else that lives on this earth. So CO2 is not a pollutant, but other pollutants we know how to take care of. We know how to use fossil fuels in a way that doesn't emit those. It's just that it's more expensive to use fossil fuels that way. That's why we need to see poorer countries gaining wealth so that they can use them uh, in a clean way as well. 
Gentlemen, I gotta say thank you so much for being with me today on this edition. I am so excited for your podcast, Created to Rain. And these are our co-hosts, Dr. Beisner and Dr. LeGates. They're going to be talking to you about this and many other things. So make sure you subscribe by going to cornwallalliance.org, or you can follow them on podcast platforms everywhere, wherever they are distributed. And guess what? One thing I love about Dr. Beisner is that if you disagree with him, that's completely okay. (laughs) It's okay. He's not going to sit up there and call you a bunch of names and cancel you out. If anything, I think you would be invigorated by a robust discussion about these kinds of things. But there's so much information you can get from the Cornwall Alliance website. So make sure you go to cornwallalliance.org. Tons and tons of resources for you to dig and seek your teeth into. And Dr. LeGates, thank you for being with me on the show today as well. It's a real pleasure to connect with you and to meet you. And I'm looking forward to more of your content on your podcast. For our listeners out there, today we're talking to Dr. Cal Beisner and Dr. David LeGates from Cornwall Alliance. To find out more about them, go to cornwallalliance.org and make sure you sign up for their podcast, Created to Rain, that's going to be airing weekly. Sign up today. Thank you so much for joining me for this edition of the Parker J. Cole Show. You have a wonderful, absolutely glorious blessed day. And God bless.